I'm so glad to have you here today. I want to jump right into the message. If you're taking notes, you can find them on the Timber Creek app, or you can, uh, if you're in a physical location, we have those fill-in-the-blanks that you can follow along. I'm hoping that you'll be able to um, digest long after this service, digest what I believe the Lord uh, wants to speak to us uh, today. Hey, let me start with a question here for everybody. The, que- the question is this. Um, how many of you, whether you're watching online, Nacogdoches, or here at the broadcast location, how many of you would say, if it's possible, I would like to become a little bit more like Jesus? How many of you would say that, honestly? Me too. Me, me, me too. There are so many areas in my life that I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I want to be, and I, I want to become a little bit more like him. Now, if you become a little bit more like him, the, the way to do that is, is to begin to get closer to him, to listen more closely to him, to, to begin to um, understand where he's coming from, to begin to walk with him. And thank God that he breathed his words through authors onto pages and he gives us the moral compass for our life, the word of God, and he shows us how to live, how to get closer to him, how to become more like him. And here's one thing I know about Jesus. The more I read the scripture, uh, the, 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 the more consistently I see and, and over and over, it doesn't really change. Jesus would deal with the issues at hand. He was willing to be inconvenienced and take a detour in the middle of a busy day. He was preaching all day long and he was tired. He was going to go away, but the people were hungry and he had compassion on them and he fed 5,000 with a to-go box from Red Lobster. He, he was willing to do what it took in the moment. Uh, as he's walking down the street, a man yells out from the side that's supposed to be shushed like shh, shh, shh he's got important things to do son of David have mercy on me and Jesus is interrupted by the man on the road with an issue and he deals with that issue he's in the middle of a crowd and, and a woman who's had a medical issue for years just reaches out and touches the hem of his garment and and he stops and says whoa 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 let's talk Jesus is willing to um, sideline the destination in order to take care of some moments that the intersections of life. Um, today, I was supposed to start a sermon series called Stay Positive. And I couldn't imagine a more insensitive sermon title in the middle of a culture that's burning, in the middle of the realities that are that are festering yet again and I want to be more like Jesus and I'm not going to sideline issues I don't get on high horses but I do feel like Jesus wants us to take time and look many times when the culture is dealing with a a dead battery the the church is offering a tire iron well, a tire iron's great if you got a flat tire, but if there's a dead battery out there, you need jumper cables. I want to be the kind of church that deals with dead batteries with jumper cables, not just another uh, tidy, tucked-in sermon for you to take notes with. Now, I know that by even taking this moment, um, some of you already have gotten uncomfortable. Good, good. Because all throughout Scripture, Jesus begins to talk to people, uh, and they start going, mm, 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 
What, what's he going to say? And yet he does it in love and kindness, and he gives us exactly what we need when we need it. Amen, everybody? Okay, so let's go and get closer to Jesus today. Let's become a little bit more like him by listening to the words of Jesus. And we go to the 10th chapter of the book of Luke, one of the Gospels, all about the story, the, 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 the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we get to this story in Luke 10, and here's where we pick it up. One day, an expert in religious law. Now, if you're an expert in law, do you know what that call, that, that you, that's what you call <laughs> your wife. <laughs> uh, um, if you're an expert in religious law, it's a lawyer. That's what it is. It's, it's a lawyer, okay? So basically, a Jewish lawyer uh, stood up to test Jesus. Uh-oh, hold the phone, careful. If I were you, I would be cautious like testing Jesus, okay? Like, just be careful, He's testing Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Out of all the questions you could test Jesus with, why is this the question that Jesus, that Jesus is tested by by this lawyer? Well, the lawyer being an expert in the religious law, he understood it to be, and all of his ancestors up until this point had understood it to be, that in order to get close to God, you had to follow the law. And the closer you followed the law, the better you got at the law, the closer you were to God. You weren't really close to God if you didn't obey the law. So it became making sure that your steps on the tightrope of the law, that you didn't lean this way or that way, and if you did it was okay because once a year there would be a sacrifice made for you that would cover your sins for you and your family for that year but still you had to walk the tightrope and make sure because this is how I get to eternal life with God now Jesus understands that Jesus knows why he's asking Jesus knows a lot of stuff everybody you know one of the best things to tell your kids when you think they're lying that's what my mom used to tell me Jesus knows. <laughs> and you start sweating. <laughs> you know. Jesus knows what's going on. And so Jesus doesn't reply to him with how to, how to have eternal life. Why is the lawyer asking this? Because he has been hearing rumors in Jesus' teaching that Jesus is saying things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's hearing things like, come to me, all those of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Out of me flows rivers of living water. And the lawyer's saying, no, 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 it's the tightrope. And you're saying it's you? You're, you're the culmination? And the truth is, spoiler alert, yes, he's the way. And he comes to fulfill all of the law because you and I don't have the capacity to be perfect. But we serve a perfect God who fulfills the law, and then we love him. So Jesus replies to the trick question, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Here's what I know about our culture. Lots of people reading the Bible in a lot of different ways. And most of the time, people like to read the Bible in a way that makes sense to them, to where they, they leverage the words of God to make sure that they can justify their own life versus their own life being surrendered to the word of God. That's the right way that the word of God would be our moral compass, that our feelings aren't our moral compass, but that the word of God is. And he says, well, how do you read it? Well, the expert, like that, hundreds and hundreds of law, he could have started with Genesis 1-1 and quoted the next five books of the Bible, which have a lot of the law in it. The man answered this way. Well, he, basically, it's summed up like this. You must love the Lord your God with what? 
all your heart and what? All your soul, all your strength, all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus goes like slow clap. I don't know if he's sarcastic like that, but I like to see him like that, <laughs> you know. It's like, okay, okay, okay. Right, Jesus told him. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, do this, and you'll live. Now, you and I on our best day can't do that perfectly. Senior saint, pastor, new Christian, I'm telling you, none of us Love the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, all the time. We don't have the capacity. That's why Jesus fulfills that in our love and his grace covers where we fall short of that glory. So do this and you'll live. And what he's showing him is you can't do it, but I'm going to provide it. So here's what the expert does. Oh, you're right. And he bows down and, and Jesus says, repeat this prayer after me, dear heavenly father. No, that's not what happens. The expert, the man wanted to justify his actions. He still isn't hearing the truth. He's not hearing what Jesus is trying to tell him because, because here's the deal. He's already walked into the conversation with a set mind. He's already determined that he has a perspective and he has a very black and white perspective on how he views the law because he's an expert. I mean, he, he watches Fox News 23 hours a day. All right, he's, he's read all the blogs. He's watched all the movies. And he wants to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, well, okay, well then, uh, okay, well, who's my neighbor then? Who's my neighbor? And I love Jesus' response. Jesus replies with a story. I am so glad that Jesus doesn't reply with a formula. Well, if it's A squared plus B squared plus C squared equals, you know, whatever. Y equals MLX plus B intercept form. For all of you math people, you're like, oh, you know, that's all I know. That's it. I don't even know how to use them. It's just... Remember that from sixth grade. That's it. He doesn't give him a formula. He doesn't say pray these, this prayer three times. When you pray, make sure that you sound more spiritual and pastoral when you pray. <laughs> like, he doesn't give you a formula. Jesus replied with a story. See, Jesus wants to be personal with you. There's something powerful about someone's story. See, it's, it's friendship that rides in the vehicle of same. And many times we don't know what we have in common until we start hearing one another's stories. And so Jesus uses a story and here's how he, un here's how he unfolds. He said, let me tell you a story. And everybody kind of gathers round and the expert kind of crosses his arms and he's beginning to listen. And, and uh, the lights go down and the music comes up and here Jesus tells a story. He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, if you don't know the geography, you don't know that the crowd is already thinking, uh-oh, uh-oh, because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was the most dangerous road in the nation. It was known as the way of blood. There were ruthless bandits. There, there was hijackings that would, would take the place, carjackings, you name it, donkey jackings, I guess is what you'd call it. They're just taking your donkey. And, and uh, so the crowd is listening and they're understanding that, 
uh-oh, he's in a bad place. Why is, the, why is this Jew who's in the holy city going down to the pagan city, and why is he traveling on that road? And sure enough, Jesus says what they think he's going to say next. He was attacked by bandits. He was pulled out of his little Hyundai, and he was stripped of his clothes. They thumbed through his wallet. They took his, they, they took his cash. They, they took his shoes. They, they ripped, up, ripped him up, beat him up. And left him there on the side of the road as those bandits hopped in their Datsun and drove away. So here's what happens next. By chance, a priest came along. More than likely, the priest was going from Jericho back up to Jerusalem. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road. And he passed him by. Hmm, that's strange. It doesn't seem like the... It doesn't seem like the kind of um, decision that you would expect a priest to do. A temple assistant walked over, known as a Levite. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him, looked at the man that was wounded on the side of the road, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Huh, what's going on? Well, then, Jesus says, a despised Samaritan, and the whole crowd goes, boo. I didn't say moo, I said boo, (laughs) you know, no, it's boo. Why? Because there was major prejudice in the hearts of Jewish people towards the Samaritans. They called Samaritans half-breeds because the Samaritans had mixed a little bit of Jewish culture and had disobeyed the law, the tightrope they were supposed to follow, and they had just kind of mixed in all kinds of other religions, and, and they just didn't like them. They looked down at them, and I want to tell you that kind, of, that kind of racial hatred has existed for a long, long time. America isn't the only country that deals with it. Humanity deals with it all across. There, there are white people that are prejudiced against other white people. There are black people that are prejudiced against other black people. There are black people that are prejudiced against white and white is prejudiced against black. It is an issue and we're gonna talk about it today and Jesus is gonna give us what we need in order to see what we do next. The despised Samaritan felt compassion for him going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds and like, what, uh-uh. No way that Samaritan would do that. You'd think the Samaritan probably just spit on him on, his, on, his, on, on, on the way by. No, the Samaritan becomes the hero of the story. This is what a crazy moment for this expert in the law. And he pours oil, olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, the good Samaritan took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Now look after him. He said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. It was a continual care. It wasn't a one-time help. Jesus pulls out of the story, and here's what he says. Now, I've told you the story. Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And it's not the expert. I, I, I like this change, the man replied. Because pretty much he's not an expert anymore. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus says, exactly. Yeah. Now go and do the same. 
I mentioned this yesterday, but I'll tell you that more words on, on this issue feels like a cup of warm water into an ocean of anger and hurt and wounds and indifference, expecting that cup of water to change the climate of the ocean. We need more than words. We need to go and do likewise. Can we pray that this morning? Father, whatever this looks like, may we go and do likewise. This isn't a flowery prayer. That's just the prayer. May we be hearers of your word, but doers of your word as well. If you're with me still, still both locations online, would you just say amen? Amen. Now, here's something we see in this, in this entire story is the intertwining of salvation and social compassion. Salvation and social compassion. Again, don't get it wrong. Social compassion doesn't lead to your salvation. You can do a lot of good things, but it doesn't mean you're saved. A lot of people doing a lot of good, good people out there, but that doesn't equal salvation. In fact, social compassion does not equal salvation. Salvation doesn't come from what you do. Salvation comes from what he has done. The lawyer is thinking, how do I do great things in order to have eternal life? And Jesus is trying to say to the lawyer, I'm going to do the best thing so you can have eternal life. And that's the cross. Social compassion doesn't equal salvation. But, but don't stop there. Salvation always includes social compassion. You cannot truly be a follower of Christ and not have social compassion for your neighbor. You can't do it. It's impossible. He intertwines the two. You don't get saved because you're compassionate, but you have to show compassion if you're saved. It's, it's just what you do. Cows, moo, dogs, bark, cats, I don't care. Christians show compassion. That's what they do. Look, look, look. If I, if, if I got a tree that's got leaves and fruit on it, the leaves and fruit don't give life to the tree. The, the, the leaves and the fruit show life of the tree. If I have a tree over here, it, if it doesn't have leaves and fruit, two things. It's either dormant, it, it's in a stilled position, or it's dead. And I'm inviting the body of Christ. If we're dormant, let's grow some leaves and fruit. Let people know us by our love for one another. Kindness that leads to repentance. And so in this story, what I want to ask is, who am I in the story? Not, not who am I, like who is Pastor Jeremy in the story? Because some of you are like, well, he's the priest of all on the other side of the road. No. Um, who are we? Who are we in, in the story? And there's a handful of characters, and I think that all of us, may have been all of them a time or two or ten, but I want us just to take some, some spiritual inventory of our character, our conduct, and our conviction and ask ourselves the question, who might I look like most right now in a snapshot of my life when I place my life under the lens of Jesus' story? Okay? So the first is this. Could I be the expert, the expert who knows exactly what to say, who has all the statistics, who has all the points, who's listened to all the blogs, who's listened to all the videos, who has his own opinion or her own opinion, like you're the expert and 
Unfortunately, when it comes to things like what we're dealing with, like systemic racism, you say you may want to justify your own actions or your own opinions. That's, that's normal on both sides to justify the way I feel. So here's a question I'm inviting you to ask yourself today. Do I try to find ways to justify my position? It's one thing to defend truth. It's one thing to, to defend and debate. It's another thing to go a la 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 and just justify positions without opening our ears to hear and our eyes to see. This is way beyond, this is way beyond prejudice. This has to do with your attitude. Well, I just, I got a short fuse. Get off the track when the train comes through. Justifying, that's how my dad was, how my granddad was, that's how I am. You knew that when you married me, woman. Okay, justifying. Well, I wouldn't do it. Well, I wouldn't nag you all the time if you wouldn't just leave those Coke Zero cans all over the place. Who drinks a Coke can and puts it on the back of the toilet? Why are you drinking a Coke when you're going to the bathroom? That may or may not be a true story. You don't know. You don't know. Don't judge me. Spiritual apathy. You know what? I just, God didn't, God didn't come through. God didn't answer my prayer. And we justify, if God was really good, then why did that happen? And we justify our pain by trying to blame. It, it, it can definitely take place. Um, protesters justifying taking actions beyond protesting and taking anger and turning anger into violence, into sin, but justifying the position. And to my white friends, not knowing, not, not knowing the conversation about the importance of black lives, we can easily slide in and I, I believe there's an authenticity in some of it, and there's also a, just, a justifying ourselves in another. When we say all lives matter, can I tell you, I, I've had several conversations with my black friends. Nobody is, none of my black friends are asking you to say only black lives matter. No, none, none of my black friends are asking you to say that. They're just saying, can we just, can, yeah, okay, you're saying all lives matter, it's fine, but, but, but we're hurting and wounded, and will you just listen? Can you just listen? Okay. But we justify. We, we want to say, oh, well, pff, you know, all of a sudden it's the statistics on uh, doesn't the black community realize that more black people are killed by other black people? That's, that's trying to justify the deeper issue that exists and, and, and have your stats. Don't, don't be blind. Both sides of the, of the conversation to my black friends. Don't justify your anger to bring hatred to someone who's your neighbor too. You have to be careful not to let in your anger that it would become sin. In your wound that it would cause you to wound others. If I'm wounded and I wound someone else, it's not going to take your wound away. So we all have to kind of figure out how to, how, to, how to move from the expert mode and begin to listen to Jesus. So here's my advice for the expert. Can I, give you, can I give you what I think Jesus' advice would be to you? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. 
To those of you that are so quick to have a reason and a stat and, and, and forward to your instant message, that video by that girl, can you just slow down a minute and just humble yourself? I have learned that if I am stacked with enough humility, I can learn from almost anyone. I can learn from, I can learn from Christians. I can learn from non-Christians. I can learn how to behave from people that are well-behaved, and I can learn how to behave by my kids <laughs> that are not behaved sometimes. We gotta humble ourselves. Okay, any experts in the room? Don't, don't raise your hand. Could I be the priest? And the priest, let's remind ourselves that by chance, just so happened, <laughs> crazy, what a coinkadink. A priest came along and when he saw the man lying there, he didn't just walk by him and say, sorry, I don't have anything on me. He crossed to the other side. Like it was, a, it was a direct opposite reaction. It wasn't an engagement. It was disengagement. And the priest, oh, I hate that I'm a pastor. And kind of that's how maybe I would be viewed. But can I tell you, I wish I was always the kind of guy that anytime I saw a need, I would feel it. Anytime I felt a hurt, I would heal it. Anytime somebody needed prayer, miracle fire came burning down because of my prayer. I wish. But sometimes for the sake of convenience, I think I have stepped over. Do you know that people can get compassion fatigue? You know, the more you see needs, the more you deal with needs, the more you see hurt, the more you deal with, the more you can get numb to those things. You just get numb. And the more you hear cursing and the more you curse, sometimes you just don't even realize that you're cursing. I mean, you're, I mean you, you are really creative on where you put that word. Like, wow, I didn't even know you could use it there. But we just get so used to it. We get fatigued in our character. We can get fatigued in our compassion. So I want to ask you the question, could I be the priest? I was having a conversation with Pastor Alvin and some of the pastors on Tuesday afternoon. And, and Pastor Alvin with tears in his eyes. He, he's our prison venue pastor. Can, can I just ask us, will you please be praying that our prisons can open up again? It has been months since the church has been able to be the church in our prisons. Can you just stop right now and pray with me? Father, I pray that you would begin to open the doors in the right time at the right way for Duncan unit and Dieball. And we were, we were on the verge of opening in the Henderson female unit. And God, those, those men and women, if ever there was a time they feel lonely and isolated, it's right now. They need the word. They need hope. They need truth. God, help us to get back in there quick. They're part of our church family. And we, God, we don't want to forget them. In Jesus' name, thank you for that, everybody. Could I be the priest? In other words, Alvin was saying when he first got saved, there was an elderly gentleman in this church, and the elderly gentleman grabbed him by the shoulder one day and said, Alvin, don't let what is precious now become commonplace. When we're newly saved, there's this first love. Come on, you know, anybody ever date someone the first few weeks? It's like, man, I'm walking on sunshine. Nice. And you know, I feel good. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. This Wednesday is Janet and I's 20th anniversary, everybody. Woo! Man, 13 really good years in there. 
20th anniversary coming up. Can I tell you, every morning doesn't start with, I'm walking on sunshine. It's like, you know, I'm a bad guy. That's what it is sometimes. And that's her. <laughs> no. We can drift. All of us are like sheep. We go astray. My kids, when they're young and we're passing through Houston and underneath the bridge, Sage says, Daddy, is that person living up there? Stop. Stop the car. Stop the car. We, we need to help them. And I've been down the road a time or ten. I, I got, I, I've got the justification. I don't even know their name and I don't even know their story. And I don't even know what they've gone through. But I, I, pretty much, I pretty much got my thumb on the pulse of why this situation is this way. And I've gotten compassion fatigued. And I forget that the stuff that was precious because it becomes commonplace. Where my children say, oh, daddy, they, look, at, look at that family. Do they need help? Like, well, if they just pick themselves up by their bootstraps, well, if they just help themselves... I can, I can be that way. I didn't mention this in the first service, but, but let, me, let me share this quickly. I, I spoke um, at a peaceful protest yesterday. I was asked by one of our councilmen, and along with the chief of police and the mayor of Lufkin, I had the privilege and, and other pastors in this city to speak at a peaceful protest that happened from the Civic Center and went down to the park next to City Hall. I didn't know what to say because, again, words are just like a lot of people sharing a lot of words. And to my black friends, I'm white. I know. I, I have struggled with exactly what to say and how to say it. And I want to say to you that, that maybe some of your friends that have been silent that, that are white, um, some, some of them do need to speak up, but also some of them... They're struggling to figure out the words because it's been so long since they've used them. And, and, and I want to help my friends have a conversation. But I had hours before that protest walked down to the park and I was, walk, I was praying. I was looking for guidance. I told Janet, I'm going to walk down to that park and read some plaques and pray. I, don't even, I, I just don't know what to say because I'm walking a line right now, everybody. Listen, I am so thankful that we have one of the most racially diverse churches in East Texas. We do. Statistics prove it. I'm so thankful for that. Thankful for it. But I cannot celebrate a racial diverse church and then forget to deal with the tensions that part of my church family are dealing with that I don't understand. I can't celebrate diversity and then stay silent on issues. You can't do both. So I didn't know what to say. And I walked and I prayed. And can I be honest with you, as your pastor, like it wasn't like God gave me something. And so as I walked towards my car across the parking lot, a man began to walk towards me. And the closer he got, it was the only just two of us about from here to halfway in this in this particular auditorium. And when he got closer, I saw that his his clothes were, were torn and weathered heavy. He had house slippers on and he was carrying a. a a white sack from like a pharmacy. He says, excuse me, sir. And I, I, you know, I immediately went, yes, how can I help? No, 
No, I wish I could tell you that that was my first response, but I got compassion fatigue too. And I immediately thought, oh, I don't have any, I don't have a dollar, I don't have any money, I know he wants, I don't have anything. And before he could even say anything, I said, hey man, I, if, I, I don't have any, I, if I had money in the car, I'd give it to you, I don't even have anything on me, I'm so sorry. And Bubba, that, that's his name, he said, I, I don't need money, I, I have some money in this sack, it's just really hot out here, do you have any water? And Jesus spoke to me so clearly in that moment. He said, I didn't bring you out to this park in this moment to give you something to say. I brought you out to this park to give you something to do. And I was like, okay, Jesus, okay. We can't be hearers. We can't just be good storytellers. We got to be doers of the word. So me and Bubba hopped in the Avalon Drove over to Standpipe. He would not let me pay for his water. Gave me a, a couple of crumpled up dollar bills. I, I pulled five Aquafinas out of the Standpipe coffee house. And he said, can you just take me to a shady place? And I took him to a shade tree with a picnic table, said a quick prayer over him. And, uh, and that was it. I didn't know what more to do, but I had to do something. Can I ask you this question that I have to ask myself? Has my heart become calloused? Where I'm too quick to go. I'm too quick to just, just to not even listen to any side. Just my side. My heart becomes callous. Let me give you some advice for the calloused soul. Here's some advice for the calloused soul. Get closer to the pain. Get closer to the pain that people feel. It is, it, it is easy to assume what pain feels like when you are far away between glass. But when, when you are tucked into bed at night and all you're doing is watching the news. It's easy for you to assume pain, but the closer you get, the more stories you hear. As I walked last night, my very first protest, I, I didn't even know what to do, but I met a friend named Brenda in the black community. And I said, Brenda, how long have you lived in Lufkin? All my life. I said, do you, do you have a story of racism? And she began to share with me her story of a gentleman looking at her in the face saying, you're, you're not even human. Don't, don't talk to me, you're not even human. She said, and that's, that's besides cars driving by and yelling the N-word at you. She said, I have a white friend, but her her friends didn't want her to have a black friend. And to be honest, my black friends didn't want me to have a white friend. So I was dealing with racism on both sides. That's, that's Brenda's story. I want to get closer to the pain to hear the story. Because you think you know the story. And if you're getting all your stories from just the media, oh dear God in heaven. Open your ears to the people around you. Open your eyes to your community. Get closer to the pain. Listen, you don't have to think just like your neighbor. You don't have to vote just like your neighbor. You don't have to act just like your neighbor. You don't have to like the same things that your neighbor likes. You don't have to, you don't have to be like them, but you do have to like them if you want to be like Jesus. You got to like them. And the way you like people is you like people up close. You don't like people out here. That's what stinks about this stupid social distancing junk. 
Like we're a congregation and we can barely congregate. It's terrible. We were made for community. We were made for closeness. And the closer you get to the pain, the deal is when you're further from the pain, every conversation sounds like an all caps text. And now for those of you who don't understand that, some of my older friends, when you send a text and it's all caps, that is supposed to mean you're yelling. It's not just to see it clearer, okay? It means you're yelling. Where are you? And you're like, where are you? But if it's all caps, where are you? That's what it, that's how it is. And many people are having conversations in all caps at the top of their thumbs on Facebook trying to defend whose lives matter when people are wounded in the road. I'm sure everybody on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho matters to God. But the one who's wounded needs our attention. That's all we're saying. That's, that, that, that's all my black brothers and sisters are saying. Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that your life don't matter. It means, can we talk about the wounded? Okay, could I be the temple assistant? The temple assistant, if we remember, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So he got close. Oh, he was close. I don't know if he didn't have a donkey. I don't know if he didn't have any bandages on him. I didn't know if he, he just didn't know what, maybe, maybe, maybe he didn't know what to do. And because he didn't know what to do, he didn't say anything. And I know that, that silence is compliance is what we're saying right now. And I think for some of us it has been, but not for everybody. So we, we have to figure out how, how, what to do next. The temple assistant was stuck. It, could I be the temple assistant? I see, but I don't know how to respond. You're confused. You, you don't want to stay silent, but you also don't want to be just another person and their token post on Facebook. Because I'm just going to now, now it's the, now instead of it being the kind of cultural thing, now it's the cool thing to stand up against it versus the right thing. That's just as dangerous. I, I don't want to disrespect law enforcement because there, there are some really good cops. But there's some bad ones that ought not to ever wear the badge either. And there's some really good doctors, but I would never let them perform surgery on me. They ought not be practicing law. Practice, lawyers ought not to be practicing law. Some doctors ought not to be. There are some pastors that ought not be pastors. But, but, but if I say too much, am I, am I criticizing my friends who are in law enforcement? But if I don't say anything, does my, my silence look like compliance to my black friends? I'm confused, and how do, I, how do I get in there? And so then, instead of listening, instead of figuring out what to do in the confusion, we retreat from it, and then becomes a blip on the radar until, it, until the thing burns again. We've got to be careful. You don't know exactly what to believe in the news. You're confused. Here's the advice for the confused. Ask the right person the right questions. So to, to, my, to my white friends, you getting together with all your white friends and asking what do we do about this issue is very narrow-minded. 
be willing to say the wrong thing in order to start the conversation. If you're willing to simply have a conversation, that's a next step. I called a friend of mine who's a pastor at another church in town. Um, he, he is a black man. And, and I called him and here's what I said to him. Man, this feels so token. At risk of being misunderstood that the only time I've reached out to you in a long time is in the middle of this tension. At the risk of sounding insensitive. At the risk of sounding, I just want to have a token conversation with you. I'm willing to risk that in order to really tell you my heart. I don't know what to do and I want to hear what you have to say and what can we do together? Because this is an all of us issue. We all have to play a part in things like this in our culture. Man, we sat down for two hours and had the most beautiful, tearful. I said, man, when I, when I get pulled over, my parents never had to tell me anything other than pray you don't get a ticket. And he said, when I get pulled over, my first thought is, is am, I gonna, am I gonna get hurt? He said, I haven't been. But that's, that, that's my, and there's a tension there. Ask the right people the right questions. Sit down and have a conversation. Okay, I'm almost done. Are you still with? Oh, man, you guys are quiet like I am stomping the class turtle in front of everybody. Like you don't know whether to say amen or you don't know whether to cry or you don't know whether to say preach it, pastor. You don't know what to do. I know. I know. So sometimes you just got to shut up and listen. Now, kids, I know KidWorks isn't in here. I know KidWorks isn't here. We don't say shut up, okay, but whatever. All right, let me wrap it up. Let me wrap it up. Could I be the hero of the story? Everybody loves to be the hero of the story. Anybody got friends that they're always the hero of their own story? Oh, I caught a fish the other day. Oh, well, well I caught a fish. Man, I was, I was able to bench my max of like, you know, 74 pounds the other day. I was like, I benched 2,200 pounds. Like everybody wants to be the hero of their own story. Could I be the hero of the story? Because here it is. The despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion. That word in the Greek is splagma. <laughs> What? What a cool word. Splagma. Sounds like silly putty or something. From Mattel, splagma. Splagma is the Greek word for deep-seated pity, hurt, and love from the bowels. Like, deep in there. It is the most common used word to describe the emotions of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. Splagma. At the cross when he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Splagma when he weeps with Mary and Martha. Splagma when he says, Lazarus, come forth. He felt compassion. So he went over to him. The good Samaritan who should be the villain, but he's, he's the hero. Soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He had exactly what he needed to help the person who needed it. It's awesome. I want to be the hero of the story. Don't you? Come on. Come on, everybody. Don't you? Yeah. Okay. Now you're talking. Okay. All right. So the question is, could I be the hero of the story? No. No, you're not the hero of the story. What? I, you just threw out my Sunday school. Let me say it again. You ain't the hero. Can I tell you something about the word of God? Jesus is always the hero.
Jesus is always the hero. When David stands up against Goliath, face to waist with a giant, and the Israelites stand by, and David says, I'm coming after you. And Goliath says, I'm going to eat you up, little boy. Fee, fi, fo, fum. And David says, yo, mama's so fat. You know what we want to do? We want to put ourselves in the sandals of David, but you ain't David in the story. You're the Israelites on the sideline. And you need a Jesus to come out and fight your battles. You need Jesus to conquer hell, death, and the grave for you. Jesus is the one that has the oil and the wine. And if the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, if he dwells in you, Jesus through you can be heroic and can be big and can be ready and can be willing. Because I get fatigued when it comes to compassion, but Jesus is full of grace and truth. I am preaching better than you are responding to me today. He's the hero. So who are we? Who are all of us in the story? <laughs> we are all the wounded. We are all the wounded. We have been beaten and bruised and bloodied by this, by this enemy. But before you begin to place a face with your enemy, let's ask the question. If we're all the wounded and we all need a savior to pour in the oil and the wine, because all of us on our best day are lost in our own sin that produces in different ways. Sin can produce anger. Uh, sin can make anger sin. That pride inside of us can turn into prejudice. That pride in us can turn into jealousy. That pride can turn into racism. That pride can turn into abuse. All of that in us. So who's the real, who's the real bandit? Who's the real bandits? Because we want to assign blame to the wounds all the time. It's not someone. It is sin. It is sinful people. And we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm wrapping up. But just a couple weeks ago, my daughter was standing in Target. She was looking at the uh, birthday cards. And as she was thumbing through the birthday cards for a friend, um, a black father and his small son turned one corner. <clears throat> and Stop. Can I just say, I had to ask my black friend, what do I say? Do I say African-American? Do I say black? Do I say person of color? What do I say? And it's like, I know it's different for different people. That's part of asking questions. So I'm just taking his advice. So if you're black in here and you're saying, stop calling me a black man, I, I'm just saying what my black friend said. So, so talk to me and I'll fix it afterwards, okay? All right, back to the story. So Sage has the black dad and the black son and simultaneously on the other side of the cards, um, a white woman and her white daughter, six or seven years old, turned the corner. And the boy uh, had longer hair and it was, it was braided out. I don't know if that's braids or dread. I don't know what that is. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know, help me. But he had some braids. And the white woman said, that's ridiculous. And she looked down at her daughter and said, don't associate with people like that. 
Now, in the middle of that moment, and before you feel too much like, oh, many of you have heard that too, but you're not knowing what to do. And my daughter had about seven things that boiled up in her, but the thing that came out was frozenness. She wanted to turn to the white woman and say, excuse me? She wanted to turn to the black child and say, you didn't, did you hear that? That's not true. She wanted to say to the little girl, we're all precious. We're all precious in his sight. Don't, don't grow up thinking that. Jesus loves everybody. Everybody's different. It's okay. He loves them. You are, you the man. I love those braids. You're killing it. Looking good. Looking good. But she didn't know what to do. So the question is, who should she have talked to? Who needed, who in that moment needed the oil and the wine? All of us need the oil and the wine. Both needed the oil and the wine. Somebody has to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh-uh. And somebody needs to say, you are valuable and I'm listening and I'm sorry and that doesn't represent me. We need both. All of us on our best day have the capacity to fall short of God's plan for our life and our words. All right, let, let me finish. You guys are just, you know, you're just making me preach so long. <laughs> Advice for all of us. You know what we ought to become? We ought to become great experts, right? Wouldn't that be better if we all became great experts? So if we just know the statistics down to the, all the anomalies, if we can just watch enough Facebook posts, we can get, our, we can get that final word in edge-wise. Let's all become great experts. And a lot of you are trying hard but I don't, I don't recommend that. We all can become great priests and just get calloused out. And many of us, you can stay as the temple assistant and you're confused. You got to act though. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. It's okay to even say, and, and I would say that, that, that your black friends are okay with you saying, white friends, they're okay with you saying, I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I, help me. What can I do? But have a conversation. So what do we do? What do we, do we all become not a good Samaritan, but a great Samaritan? No, no. Let's all become great innkeepers. Because here's what happens. Look, look, look at what happens. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. The innkeeper had an open hand to receive what the Samaritan wanted to give him. He said, listen, look after this guy. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Listen in, lean in. Come on, Nagadoshis, come on online. Hear me, broadcast location. Listen, listen. Jesus saves the wounded. You and I are called to serve the wounded. We don't save anybody. We offer the opportunity for people to get saved. Only Jesus saves, but we are called to serve. And we can serve all kinds of people with all kinds of normal lives on the road, but Jesus is calling us to notice the one who's wounded. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we serve the wounded? 
And that means all of us in different ways. Let me give you the how. Number one, it starts from the inside out and the scripture says, above all else, above your post, above Blackout Tuesday, above that scripture, above just a conversation, above a protest, above all else, all of my church family, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. To my black friends, guard your heart. I know you're hurt, I know you're angry. I know you're tired. Guard your heart, guard your heart. You know, even, even Jesus, if we're gonna be more like Jesus, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I'm telling you, some, some people just don't know what they're doing, but don't let your heart get calloused either. Guard, be careful. To my white friends, guard your heart. Open your heart to the needs of our community the needs of your neighbors and know that your neighbor isn't about an address next to you. It's about humanity. Love your neighbor. Do you know, I want to be like the innkeeper in the story of the Good Samaritan, but there's another innkeeper that I want to avoid, and it's the innkeeper in the story of our Savior. Our Savior, Emmanuel. Mary, mother of Jesus, on the back of a donkey in contractions, having labor pains, goes up to the inn and the innkeeper was too busy. The innkeeper was too, too full. He saw the need in front of him. This woman is about to give birth. And he says, we don't have room for you. He missed the opportunity to serve the son of the living God. And that's what Jesus says to all of us. When you give water to the thirsty, when you give a cup of water to Bubba, it's like you gave water to Jesus. When you serve someone wounded, you don't have to understand all the history. But if you're just willing to be a vessel that would pour Jesus' wine and oil to them, Jesus is like, you did that to me. You did that to me. You kissed me on the cheek when you did that. And I'm asking all of us not to just guard our heart, but then activate the, the outside. And that is to embrace the inconvenience of compassion. Even if it costs you personally, compassion is never convenient. You are going to be, you are going to be inconvenienced by conversations, but it's time to make the time. You're going to be inconvenienced by the person that says, Do you ha can you help me? You're going to be inconvenienced by the person who texts you late at night saying, this happened in that relationship. I need someone to talk to. And you're like, Ugh! Ugh! you're going to be inconvenienced by compassion, but embrace it. Embrace it. Because here's what the Samaritan said to the innkeeper, everybody. Whatever you pay, whatever it costs you, I'll reimburse you. There are rewards for those. When the disciples were inconvenienced at the feeding of the 5,000, he reimbursed them with basketfuls of food. He will reimburse you too. All locations, would you just close your eyes and let's pray now. And can we just pray for a 
a heart that needs to be guarded. God, in order for us to guard our heart, we need to know the condition of our heart. In order to properly safeguard our heart, we need to know where it is and what condition it is in. We need to test the density of our heart. Has our heart become calloused? And in the mighty name of Jesus, we can't fix that on our own. We need you to pour oil and wine onto our calloused, wounded hearts. No matter what the wound is, we all need you, Jesus. Pour the oil and the wine. With eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, well, that's the most important thing of all. You would simply say, Jesus, I surrender to you today. I don't know what to do next, but I want to follow you. I don't know exactly what to say, but I, I, I want you to be my savior and you to be my king. I've tried to be my own savior, tried to be my own ruler. I'm, I'm, I'm not a good savior, but you are. Guide me now, Lord. Help me take next steps. Jesus, for all of us, I pray that we would be embracers of inconvenience the inconvenience of compassion and kindness and goodness and joy when it doesn't feel I don't feel like being joyful that the joy of the Lord would be our strength that we would choose joy anyway that we would live in peace that we would love our neighbor and it's in the wonderful mighty name of Jesus the strong son of God everybody said amen